Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Look, I think it's fair to say, and I even did a behind the wheel about this, that one of the more shocking things that happened to the American Jewish community, and I think I can speak for a lot of people that are American Jews, was the uh, extraordinary amount of support, uh, unparalleled and unquestioning support, uh, that was given to Hamas, and the statements that were made in writing and with fervor that Israel was 100% responsible for what happened to it on October 7th. I have to tell you, as an alum of NYU Law, whose student bar president wrote a message from the president uh, on, a, on, on the letterhead of NYU Law, uh, that I was absolutely shocked at the statement, uh, which, of course, she did not recant ever. And in the wake of all of this, I came upon an op-ed written by Jacob Halland, our, our next guest, who was the McFarland Professor Emeritus of Philosophy at the University of Tulsa, who wrote an op-ed published October 11th, just a few days later, saying Hamas love exposes the moral rot at the center of Harvard and higher education in America. He is a past winner of the University of Tulsa Outstanding Teacher Award and the College of Arts and Sciences Excellence in Teaching Award. He has received grants from many different foundations, including the National Endowment for the Humanities, uh, the Koch Foundation, he's le- lectured in Israel, France, England, Romania, Brazil, Denmark, and Norway, as well as around the United States itself. Jacob Howland, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Lisa. So you wrote this. Uh, well, let, let's talk about I want to talk literally. I, I'm not going to read it c- completely for our audience, although I suggest that they do read it. Uh, frankly, uh, Jacob, I cannot remember where I saw that it was published. Where was it published? Uh, this was uh, the article called uh, Harvard is a National Disgrace was published in Unheard. Um, I have one that came out yesterday, I think, in a City Journal called The Campus Peril to Western Civilization, which extends that discussion. So your point, and again, the title, Hamas Love Exposes the Moral Rot at the Center of Harvard and Higher Education in America. You say that you were not surprised 
by this overwhelming student reaction on many college campuses to what happened. Tell us why you weren't surprised. Well, look, uh, for decades, um, students in American universities, and especially elite ones, have been steeped in a postmodern intellectual culture of repudiation, relativism, and reductivism. So what do I mean by that? They've learned to repudiate the American experience and experiment, uh, the Western tradition. They've been taught, you know, for again, for decades to deconstruct, quote unquote, the great books and the noble ideals of the West. They've been taught to regard morality and even scientific truth as social constructions. And most recently, their heads have been filled with the notion that fundamental social relationships are really zero-sum games of domination and servitude. What I mean by that is zero-sum game, I win, you lose. Uh, whereas in society, you know, a healthy society is one where we all win, we work together, but mm -hmm. they've had ideas of critical theory and intersectionality. And these are, these are pernicious doctrines which basically turn students away from learning from the past, from the precious inheritance of tradition and morality, make them believe that everything is relative and that what really matters is who's in power. Wow. This idea of zero sum is really interesting to me, uh, Professor, because I was just talking about, so funny, I was just talking about the economy and I was talking about the mistake that people make in thinking that the economy is a zero-sum game because the economy should properly be thought of as a, an expanding balloon that never pops and that if I'm rich, it doesn't mean you have to be poor. It means both of us can be rich at the same time as an expanding standard of living. And as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking I never thought about society altogether and relationships as a zero-sum game before. What, what is that coming from? I don't even get that. Well, I think a lot of these doctrines um, really have their roots in Marxism. Uh, and, you know, um, the theories of Marx were radical and revolutionary and wanted to find scapegoats, wanted to uh, suggest that all of society's problems could be solved if we just eliminate this one problem. <laughs> In the case of Marx, it was, you know, the bourgeoisie, it was the capitalists. And by the way, significant overlap with the Jews from Marx's own perspective. Mm -hmm. um, now today, you know, the thing has shifted away from economic concerns, because frankly, if a lot of people on the left were really concerned in the old fashioned way of, you know, um, um, uh, wealth distribution and poverty, they wouldn't support certain kinds of activities that actually damage the poorest people the most, like in 2020 with the BLM riots and the destruction of the inner cities and so forth. Um, but today it's shifted to issues of sexuality and race uh, and ethnicity. And the overlap with Marx is that what what the problem is identified as people of a certain group, right? Whether it's whites with white supremacy or whether it's males allegedly dominating females or what have you. Um, and I think that's that kind of logic causes people to believe 
that if you're a winner, other people must be losers. And this is certainly the case with intersectionality, which is this idea that, you know, if you're privileged, then there must be someone who's oppressed because you're privileged. So I see. Oh, that's interesting. I never. Okay, I'm learning from you because it's not the education that I was steeped in. And I will tell you that this came as a punch in the gut to me and many other Americans to see how quickly the students on college campuses decided to make Israel 100% responsible for what happened here. And you say in your op-ed, you talk about the fact that uh, you say three decades ago, a conversation in one of my classes at the University of Tulsa turned to the topic of Ronald Reagan a student remarking with evident scorn, can you believe he called the Soviet Union an evil empire? To which a small voice from the back of the room replied, well, they were pretty evil. Well, <laughs> that was 30, they certainly were pretty, they certainly were. I think one could argue they certainly are, right? Yes. And, uh, and so you're saying 30 years ago, that took guts and courage for someone to say, but you're saying now nobody would even say that. Yeah, I think it's it's a very sad thing. You know, um, our campuses now are dominated roughly by two groups of people among the students. One is the very vociferous minority that has absolute certainty about what is right and wrong. And these are the people who came out and took the side of the Palestinians and um, basically called Israel, you know, a colonialist, colonialist empire and so forth. Um, and then the vast majority of students have learned um, not only not to speak up, but frankly, not even to have any opinions. Because if you open your mouth on campus these days, someone's likely to report you for wrong think, you know. Uh, oh and I God. think, there, you know, it's not like also incidentally with with these attacks, which, you know, we, we started the conversation with talking about what's been happening on campus over the last few decades and critical theory and all these kinds of things. Um, Students are really not taught history anymore, or if they are, it is to deconstruct it, right? Like we study the American founding fathers, and then we're going to talk about their slaveholders and so on and so forth. So they don't know any history. So not only are they ignorant uh, about, for example, the creation of the state of Israel or the Holocaust or things like this, but they don't they really don't want to have opinions because what's the use? Because it's like sticking your head above a foxhole, Um so, um, and I should also say, by the way, with regard to Israel, there's some very complicated things going on here, because how did it happen that the Jews, who were horrifically victimized during the Holocaust, are now regarded as the oppressors? I don't know. I think, Can you explain that to me, Mr. Howland, Professor? Please. I really don't well, know. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's complicated, but what's interesting here is that the Jews were certainly victims, the Jews have, were able, after the Holocaust, to continue to live, to thrive in places like the United States, to have success. So they distinguished themselves from other victim groups by their ability to overcome these hurdles and to continue to have success and do great things. There's going to be resentment on that part because there are other victim groups. Let's take the Palestinians, right? The Palestinians living in Gaza, they have nothing. And in large part, it's because they elected Hamas and they have not overthrown Hamas or taken these actions, you know, and their lives are made miserable and the Arab nations don't want to let them in. So here's a victim group that's not doing well. OK, but over there are the Jews. Now, when you add the racial thing in 
And you know there's been a lot of talk recently. It's like, well, Jews are just whites. And by the way, Israel is a colonial project. It's not a colonial project. Great Britain was a colonial society. The sun never set on the British Empire. The sun sets on Israel because it is very well defined. It's the size of New Jersey. It's a tiny homeland for the Jewish people, thousands of years old. They're not trying to expand. They just want to live their lives, and they want peace. And so there's a kind of victim sweepstakes, right? The Jews don't act victimized because they're living their lives and they're succeeding. They're, so they're sort of special category. So there's resentment. And now, you know, I think there's a lot of guilt, too. I think a lot of uh, Europeans are guilty about what they did to the Jews in the Holocaust. And that sort of comes out with, well, okay, now they're doing it, you know, they're doing it to the Palestinians. So there's a, it's very complicated psychologically, but this is how I would at least begin to think about it. So interesting. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So, you know something, uh, Professor Hallen? I'd love to get you in a room or a conversation with a gal by the name of Dara Horn. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She has. Oh, of- I. <laughs> you know I, her? I. I. I am well aware of Dara Horn. I I heard her give a wonderful talk on the difference between Jewish literature and other sorts of literatures uh, in New York a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, we just had her on the show at just presciently a few weeks before the war broke out. And the title of her talk that she was discouraged from using was Everybody Loves a Dead Jew. Mm. And her point was, and it has resonated with me ever since this war began, Professor, her point was exactly what you're saying, which is people like to think about a Jew as a victim, but they're uncomfortable with thinking about a Jewish person overcoming adversity. Yes, I agree with that. I think I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, let me go back to the zero-sum game thing, right? If it's true that there are people who are successful and healthy and flourishing— then that must mean that they're doing it on the backs of others. By that logic, you can look at the Jews who are successful and healthy and flourishing. I mean, look at the names of the people, for example, who have said they're not going to support the University of Pennsylvania or they're not going to support Harvard University. These are billionaires. These are Jewish billionaires who have made their money through their own hard work and ingenuity and intelligence. So therefore, if they're successful, how could they possibly be victims? How could they possibly? They must be oppressors. See, this is the way these categories work in the minds of a lot of people. I was not ever raised to think that, Professor. I was always raised, I'm Jewish, and I was always raised to think that, uh, I was always raised to think that 
uh, you work hard and, and, you, and you study hard and you play by the rules. And if you get lucky, a little mazel in life, that's pretty good too. Sometimes you can yeah. have great success. And sometimes it'll be material success, but other times it'll be artistic success, scientific success, all kinds of different success, family success. That's right. And, you know, the thing is that the Jews love life. We've always loved life. I'm also Jewish. And, um, and, and they want peace. You know, my sister-in-law emailed me, and she had read an article that said that Netanyahu made a big mistake. He was supporting Hamas over the years. And, and by that, in other words, the Israelis were caught by surprise because they thought that Hamas was playing nice, and they were they issuing more work permits in Israel and so forth. And one of the things I said to her is, you know, the Israelis have a dream, and the dream is a dream of peace. And so they can be tricked, you know, because they want to believe. They want to believe that they could have normalized relationships with the Palestinians. They want to believe that there won't be war anymore. And Hamas played this very, very cleverly. You know, we're not going to make, you know, we'll throw occasional rocket in, but, you know, compared to past behavior we're being quiet and we're playing nice and they used this trait of the israelis and the jews in general uh to uh you know to deceive them and and to launch this horrible campaign um professor howland do you think that this has caused a reckoning that is rather overdue in american institutions do you believe that academics will start to become more rigorous and adhere to uh, traditional Western thought and start to teach history in the way that I think our young people are entitled to learn it? I certainly hope so. Look, I'm actually not in Tulsa anymore. I'm at, at, at a new university called the University of Austin, which it, we're, we're about to launch our, our admissions process. And we're dedicated to civil discourse, fearless pursuit of truth, and especially foundations in the Jewish uh, biblical tradition, also Christian, and we study Islam as well, and in the Greeks, that is to go back to the roots of civilization and to learn what is civilization, what is politics, what are the blessings of civilization, uh, and so forth. And I think it's long overdue. I think that um, I think that um, we've we've seen these donors. You know, Harvard University, Leslie Wexner, Mitt Romney, Seth Klarman, Bill Hellman, or people at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, Ronald Lauder, head of the uh, uh, World Jewish Congress, Mark Rowan, John Huntsman, John Dick Wolf. Yeah, yeah. You know, Dick Wolf, who did the Law and Order. I can, you know, the list goes on. So these are people who are saying, we're not going to give you any more money. Now, the problem is with these Ivy League universities, you know, Harvard has a $50 billion endowment. Yeah, they don't need anybody's money. It's so ridiculous. It, it Why anybody matter. is charged tuition at Harvard is what we call a shanda, a disgrace. It's disgusting. Yes, right. the size of a country. Right. But these guys are not going to give their money there. They'll be looking for other places that are actually going to return to the roots. Because the problem really is that we don't have historical memory. We're not – to the extent that we teach the past, we tell the students it's bad. It needs to be overcome. And then we have, uh, you know, a great number. I mean, it, the ratios in terms of left-leaning versus right are like 12 to 1 or, or even higher at many universities. Um, so, you know, we're finding a new institution. There are other existing institutions that are going to benefit from this, places like Hillsdale College, University of da- Dallas, and others. Um, 
and um, and I think that I think we will begin to see a change. But I just am sorry to say that at the elite institutions, things have gone very far in the wrong direction, and I don't know that they can be salvaged. What is, um, I want to ask you something, Professor Hallen, before we go. You keep using this word intersectionality. Pardon my ignorance. What is that? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, so the idea is, <laughs> I should have defined it. I'm sorry. So the idea is, yeah. so the idea is that you can divide people into various categories, okay? And there are certain things that are disadvantageous. So, for example, if you are African-American, this is a negative thing in terms of society, right? Because there's racism. If you are obese, that's a negative thing. If you are unhealthy, a negative thing. If you are gay, you know, because we're supposedly living in a heterosexual society and, 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 you know, and, and, and supposedly, which I don't see a lot of evidence of in the United States, you know, we're hostile to gays and so forth. So then people said, what if you live at the intersection of all these bad things? So let's say you are African-American, you're gay, you're obese, you're impoverished, you're you know, physically unhealthy and so forth. Now you've got a whole bunch of problems, and that makes you super oppressed. Whereas if you are white, if you are male, if you are heterosexual, if you are wealthy, if you are healthy, you have a whole bunch of advantages that make you, frankly, in terms of this logic, a super oppressor, you see. (laughs) So it's identity politics taken to the nth. You got it. That's a that's an excellent way to put it, Lisa. That's exactly right. Identity politics to the nth degree. Okay. Now I get it. And you know the problem with that as a human being, right, on the macro and the micro, if you're going to continue to identify with certain groups, then how are you as an individual ever going to progress? What messages are you going to tell your own children, your own nieces and nephews? What are you going to tell them about the way to, you know, to have a better life if you keep insistently defining yourself in a victimized way? It's a shame. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't acknowledge that, in fact, you may be African-American and there are historical realities and current realities that might make it more difficult for you to achieve certain things. Let's say that that's true. It probably is true. It is true. But but then what is your message to your own children? I think your message has to be one that despite that, here are ways and opportunities we can achieve. Exactly. I have to agree with that. I think that if when there are genuine obstacles, I don't deny that and, and you know but the thing is that what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to sit back and say, I'm a victim, I'm oppressed, help me? Or should you try to help yourself? and advance in the ways that you can and make the best, you know, and the fact is Lisa, that I can look at someone and I can say, wow, there's a, you know, a a beautiful woman. She's privileged because she's beautiful. She's wealthy, but you know what? And she's white. Let's say I know nothing about her. Maybe her mother committed suicide. Maybe she has cancer. Maybe horrible tragedies have entered her life. I know nothing on the basis of these contingent characteristics about the individual. And that's, where the meaning is, and that's where the importance is, is the individual. Jacob Hallen, thank you very much for your writing. I see, as I'm reading here, and I'm reading your, I was reading your original biography, now I'm reading the updated biography, that you are the provost and director of the Intellectual Foundations Program at UATX, which is University of Austin. 
and you've written another book called Glaucon's Fate, History, Myth, and Character in Plato's Republic. I'm not sure that'll be a major bestseller, but hopefully <laughs> in the academic world it'll take off. Yeah, and, thank you. Uh, and, and Jacob Hallen, thank you very much for coming on our show today. This has been very illuminating. Yeah, it's, it's been a real pleasure, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 